Right. So um, last night, I found myself embarking upon a mission that was not expected. It was not planned. It was, it was out of the ordinary. Some of you already know what I'm referring to. Uh, but last night, Christy and I, we came over here to the church about 7 o'clock last night to move some things around for HC Kids down in the K-5 space this morning. It's about 7 o'clock last night, and this is what we walked into. Um, I don't know, it, the lighting's a little hard to tell, but that's about an inch of water covering half of our K-5 space. So uh, the monsoon that happened last night, the torrential downpour, uh, the, there's a basement door right off this side, uh, and there's a, there's a drain down there, but it just could not keep up filled up, came in through the basement, and it was like, oh no, what are we going to do? Um, but, you know, have no fret. Uh, a great team of people showed up, and after a few hours, a few people, a few shop vacs, a few carpet cleaners, a few box fans, a dehumidifier, and this morning, it's good to go. It's good to go. Problem solved, right? Um, but, but here's the reality. Um, we've all been in situations like that, where you're confronted with something that's broken, something that's amiss, something that isn't what it's supposed to be, and you're faced with a decision in that moment, okay, what am I going to do? <laughs> How are we going to move forward? Uh, and there tends to be a couple of options for fixing something that's broken uh, when, we're, when we're confronted with that. Option number one is you see something that's broken and there's the run and hide option or the, the kind of ignore it. And you're just like, if I, if I act like it's not there, it's fine, right? The, the, these are the people that put like a little piece of electrical tape over their check engine light when it's on in their car. Just turn the radio up. It's not making any noise. You're fine, right? I'm not going to ask anybody to raise, raise hands, okay? Just not going to do that. The second option is kind of what uh, me and a group of people engaged in last night. It's like, okay, we can fix this. We got this. We can do it ourselves. The next option past that is a little bit more intensive. It's I can't do this right now, but if I spend a little time at YouTube University, we can get this and still do it ourselves. And then the last option is, okay, it's time to call in an expert because this is above my pay grade, right? And this is kind of what we do when we're faced with situations or things that are broken. Uh, and that, that works in some things in life. That works with a flooded basement. That works with car trouble. That works with, uh, you know, I, I skinned a knee or even broke an arm or something like that. Okay, we know what to do. We know who to see. We know how, how to fix it. But the question is, what do we do whenever we are faced with um, a, a level of brokenness that is, is beyond what we can just quickly address or that we can quickly fix. What happens when, when the thing that's broken is a damaged relationship? What, what happens when the brokenness that we're confronted with is, is a serious illness or a serious injury? Or what happens when the brokenness that we're faced with is the loss of a loved one? What happens when the brokenness that we're faced with is a community experiencing tragedy? What do we do when the, when the brokenness is, is, is something just on a, a massive scale? It's just, it's something like, uh, like global or something, just like, like a big like issue that humanity as a whole is facing. Like, what, what do we do whenever there's something that's broken and we're like, I can't fix this. This isn't fixable. We're gonna talk about that a little bit today as we are in part two of our series called Sent Together. We, we started this last week and talking about this idea that Listen, if you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, that the Christian faith is not just something that, um, that we consume. It's not something that they were like, all right, cool, I'm a Christian now. And it's got all these benefits for me and I just kind of get to take this in. I'm just a, I'm a kind of like a, a religious consumer, um, but there's actually something that we contribute. Uh, that, that we do experience the goodness of Jesus and his grace and his love and his mercy and he does change our lives and it is beautiful. But then he looks at us and says, okay, now I want you to go and I want you to help other people experience what you've experienced. I'm sending you out on a mission 
to take uh, my love and my goodness and my gospel to the world around you. And so last week, we kind of set things up looking at uh, this passage. It's in Matthew's gospel. Uh, so after Jesus' uh, life, his, his death, his resurrection, he's getting ready to ascend into heaven and he gives his disciples then and us as his disciples now this mission. He comes to them and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, therefore, go and, and here it is, this is the, the single statement, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so, Jesus says, listen, if you're my follower, there's a mission that you're on, and here's the mission in a single statement, go and make disciples. And that can encompass a lot of different things. Uh, that can be a lot of different things from proclaiming things and telling people about Jesus and the gospel to just uh, loving people and serving people and showing up in people's lives. But what it boils down to us proclaiming in word and deed the good news that King Jesus has come, that his kingdom is here, and that we are invited to be a part of it. And all of it is possible through his life, death, and resurrection. Say, like go, I want you to go tell people, I want you to go show people, I want you to go to live this out and proclaim this, this message because people need good news. And part of the good news of Jesus, part of that mission includes bringing the healing of Jesus into broken places in our world, into broken situations, into broken relationships, and the people around us, and the circumstances around us in our day-to-day -day life. How can we bring the healing of Jesus into circumstances that honestly seem unfixable, unsolvable, but Jesus says, I wanna show up and I wanna do something about that. I wanna fix what's broken in you and in the world around you. So throughout the, the New Testament, the gospels, we see Jesus uh, healing several things that are broken. Um, from broken lives to, to broken relationships, broken uh, societal systems, the way the religious system work that he shows up and wants to confront and to fix what's broken. And uh, normally whenever Jesus would, would heal something, it was never just like a surface level thing. There are always like several layers of things that he was doing. And that's true uh, in the case of the account that we're gonna look at today. And so we're gonna be in Matthew's gospel today. Um, Matthew is one of the original followers of Jesus. Uh, he's one of the, the first uh, of Jesus' disciples. Jesus calls some guys and says, hey, I want you to come and, and follow me. And Matthew then writes one of four accounts of the life of Jesus that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of them is telling uh, the same, same picture of the same Jesus, the same gospel, the good news of Jesus, but each one is, is taking a different angle on it. They're taking a different perspective. They have a different audience in mind. Uh, and Matthew has this audience in mind of uh, the Jewish people, and he wants to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah they've been waiting for, the king in the line of David that they've been waiting for, the seed of Abraham who is going to come. And so Matthew kind of sets his gospel up that way. And he's gonna write something that speaks into this idea of brokenness and healing that Jesus brings. And Matthew was someone who experienced this in his own life. See, see Matthew, sometimes he's also known as Levi. Before he was following Jesus was a tax collector. Um, in that time, in that place, the Roman Empire, uh, they would hire locals to work for them. So in the area of, that Jesus is doing his ministry, this area of Judea, Matthew would have been a Jewish man who in the eyes of his fellow people had turned his back on them. That had, has, he had sold out to the enemy, uh, to the oppressor. He, he said, I'm working for Rome now. And they would have viewed him as a thief and a crook and a liar on the outside, on the outcast of society. And Jesus walks up to Matthew one day, sitting at his tax collector's booth. And he's like, hey, Matthew, I want you to come follow me. I want you to come follow me. And it's this beautiful picture. Matthew, you are broken and you are messed up and you have issues, but you don't have to clean any of that up before you can come follow me. 
In fact, like your life is going to be transformed as you follow me, not before you follow me. So come follow me as you are, and I'm going to take you to where I want you to be. And Matthew starts following Jesus. And so later in life, he, uh, he, he records uh, this gospel account. And the thing that we're going to look at today is found in Matthew chapter 9. We're pick up right in verse 1. So we read that, that he, that's Jesus, got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. And just then, some of the men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. Uh, and, and so it says he got in a boat and crossed over. So where Jesus had been just prior to this is in a region that was known as the Gerasenes. Uh, this was mostly a Gentile, meaning a non-Jewish region. And there was a man there who was demon-possessed. And Jesus uh, cast the demons out of this guy. It changed his life. It transformed him. Everyone's like, whoa, this is crazy. This is amazing. So that's just happened. They get back in the boat, go back across the sea, or, which is the Sea of Galilee. And he, he comes into his own town, which is this area of Capernaum. And so as they get there, Matthew's like, okay, uh, they, they land, they, they show up back in his own town, and some, some guys bring a paralyzed man to Jesus. They carry him on a stretcher. Now, Matthew's not the only one who records this account for us. Mark also gives us a version of this. Luke gives us a version of this. And as I said, different gospel writers had a different kind of agenda or a different angle they were trying to, to, to present of Jesus. And so Mark and Luke give us a few more details that Matthew leaves out here. And it's the details that they provide that make what Jesus says next come to life. They let us know that these friends don't just bring Jesus to a random place on the stretcher out in the open. They let us know that Jesus is actually teaching in someone's home. And there's a huge crowd in this home uh, because they want to hear Jesus. And the, and the friends bring uh, the guy on the stretcher to, to get Jesus to heal him, but they can't get to Jesus because there's so many people around. And so they climb up on the roof of this person's house and they dig a hole in the roof. Uh, the roof wasn't like it wasn't, wasn't us with timber framing and sheathing and, and shingle or whatever. It was uh, would have been like a thatch roof. It would have been like, uh, like flax reeds and stalks bound together up on the roof. And so they start digging through the person's roof. They get a hole big enough to lower the guy on the stretcher down right in front of Jesus. Now, side note, in between the uh, volunteer service and this service, we were having a very in-depth conversation about what do you think happened to the roof after this? Did Jesus like heal the roof? And because I feel like Jesus is a nice enough guy to be like, it's kind of my fault, so let me take care of that. But we don't we don't really know, so you can fill in those own details, right? So here's what happens though: they, they get the, the guy in front of Jesus, and so there's this big scene that everybody is seeing. And then we read this: that seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, "Have courage, son." sins are forgiven. So the thing that moves Jesus is their faith. We talk about this a lot, and it's always worth mentioning that faith is not a lot of times what we boiled it down to be of just an idea of uh, truths to say, like, I believe these facts about God or about Jesus, that I believe these statements, that that faith was always attached to, to action in the New Testament. Uh, to loyalty, to allegiance, to, to trust really is the word. And so the faith that is talked about here is that they trust, they believe, they are, they are relying on the fact that Jesus has the authority and he has the ability to do something about this man's condition. It is a trust in him that moved them to crazy action. And there's two kind of parties displaying faith here. You have the paralyzed man himself who has the faith to say, I wanna be healed and I think Jesus can do it. Uh, and for that kind of personal connection, for him to trust in Jesus, faith has to be personal. It's gotta be, uh, I, I can't rely on somebody else to, uh, to trust in Jesus for me. So you have his faith, but then there's also the faith of the friends that is kind of mentioned here. 
there's the faith that the friends see a friend that they have who is hurting and they believe Jesus can do something to change this man's life, but they know that he can't get there on, on his own. And so they have this incredible trust to go to extreme lengths. It's very similar to how Jesus transforming people's lives still works today. Right, like Jesus changes people's lives. There are people who are like, man, I know Jesus can change them and he can heal them and, and he can bring hope and love. And, 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 but, but there are moments where it's like, I know Jesus can change that person's life, but they can't get there on their own where we can step in and say, I can't change you, but I can get you to Jesus and he can. Right, like we have a part to play in this. And so the man has faith, the friends have faith. Jesus sees this faith, their trust in him. And he says, son, your sins now, this is a little bit of a plot twist in the story because the obvious brokenness in this man's life is paralysis. Like that's, that's on the surface, that's what's wrong. That's the thing that's mentioned multiple times. He's on a stretcher, he's a paralytic man. Two or three times says, the paralytic man, the paralytic man. They carry him on a stretcher. They lower him through the roof. He's helpless on his own. This is the thing that jumps off the page for, uh, for the reader. It's the thing that the, the crowd there that day would have instantly seen about this guy. Like, oh, we see that there's a problem and we've heard that Jesus can do things. Uh, so we think that he's there to be healed for uh, his, his not, he, the, the fact that he can't walk. But that's like the obvious, uh, the, the obvious issue. That's what he wants healing for. But Jesus looks beyond kind of the surface level need. And he looks beyond the surface level brokenness. And it's not that he ignores it. He's like, no, I, I see that. But I also know that there is a, a deeper brokenness that you have that I need to address. And so he gets to the root of the issue and says, listen, your, your sins are forgiven. I don't just want to heal the symptom of what's wrong. I want to get to the root of it and get that out because you, your state, what's going on with you, this brokenness, this pain that you're experiencing in your life, it is a result of sin. And we, we, don't, we don't have uh, the details, the backstory to this man's story, of, like what caused his paralysis? Did he do something wrong where he like got injured or did something dumb and was sinning and ended up getting paralyzed? We don't know. Did somebody else do something wrong to him? Did somebody else, was, is, is his paralysis the result of someone else's sin? We don't know. Or was he just born that way? Was there a disease? Was there a natural disaster? Did something else happen that, that caused him to be this way? We don't know. But what we do know is any one of those options would be rooted in this idea that we live in a, a sinful and broken world and it affects us. So Jesus is like, I, I see your need, but I wanna heal the deeper need. Because what good is it if, if I can make you walk, but you're still paralyzed by sin the rest of what good is it if I, if I can make you walk, but at the end of this life, like death still awaits you because you've been gripped by sin. I see your need, but I wanna address the deeper need. Son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, at this, some of the scribes said to, the, said to themselves, he's blaspheming. So you have some religious leaders there. That's who the scribes are. And they hear Jesus forgive this man of, of uh, his sins. And they're like, you, you can't do that. Like, that's wrong. That, that, that's an affront to God. That's offensive. Like, you, you deserve death for blaspheming God. And again, in, in some of the other gospel accounts, Mark specifically gives us the, a little bit more of a detail. In Mark chapter 2, verse 7, this is their accusation. They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? Like, well, you, you can't forgive this person's sin because only God can forgive sins. It's the same, same way that works. Like, you know, we, we, when we sin, we hurt people. We sin against someone. I, I can't like sin against Christy and be like, you know, I was like, I was a jerk yesterday and I was mean and I said things I shouldn't say. I can't, I can't have done that and then go, hey, Scott, will you forgive me for that? And you're like, 
No, like, I didn't sin against you, right? Like, no, I, I, need, like, I need Christy to forgive me for that. And so there's a, there's a human aspect when we sin, we hurt other people, but there's also an aspect of every time that we sin, we're also sinning against God. And so we need that, that forgiveness from him as well. And the religious leaders, they're smart. They get this. They're like, wait a minute, you, like only God can forgive sin. So you're claiming to be God. And Jesus, I love when he does this, like, like these interactions he has with the religious leaders because he, he kind of lets them uh, kind of start the conversation. He's like, and now I want to take it over here and you set me up perfectly. Uh, and so Matthew records this, that Jesus was perceiving their thoughts and he said, why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk, but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher and go home. And so he's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of play your game a little bit. Um, and from a human perspective, is essentially what he's saying. It's what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk. And so he's like, I hear your argument. Now, from a merely human perspective, is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven? And then the evidence of that is all internal. Like Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. We can't see that. That's like an in his heart kind of thing. But if I say to get up and walk, you're gonna be able to see whether I'm legit or not. So he's like, okay, we'll, we'll play this game. But so that you may know that the Son of Man, talking about himself, has authority to forgive sins. This, this is the issue here. He's like, I'm, I'm going to do something to, to confirm and to establish my identity as being able to forgive sins. That, that I have the authority I want you to know what I am really here to do. And what I am really here to do is to heal what is broken, to heal the sin problem, the evil problem, the darkness problem, the brokenness in our world. I am here to do something about that that no one else other than God himself can do. And so I want you to know that I am here to do that and I have the authority to do it. Matthew has kind of set up this, this section of his gospel to point over and over and over to the, the authority of Jesus. So in Matthew, like five through seven, we have this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, the largest kind of chunk of Jesus' teaching. It's like his, hey, if you're, if you're part of my kingdom, this is what my kingdom is like. And at the end of that, the people are, they're amazed because he teaches with such authority. And then he casts out some demons and has authority over them. He calms a storm and has authority over that. He heals sickness and has authority over that. And now he's like, ultimately, I have the authority over sin as well. I, I love the way that... Um, one scholar, N.T. Wright, puts it in his commentary uh, on this gospel. He says, Jesus has authority. You can't miss it. Authority in his teaching, authority over diseases at a distance, authority over the storm, authority over the demons, and now authority to do what normally only God does, to put away sins, to change a person's life from the inside out, to free them from whatever was gripping them so tightly that they couldn't move. So I want you to know that I have the authority. Your sins are forgiven. Now get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Verse 7, so he got up and went home. <laughs> I love how nonchalant the gospel authors are whenever, like, Jesus does a miracle, and they're just like, oh, yeah, the guy walked. Oh, yeah, the guy could see. Woo. And you're like, what? Are you kidding me? If I was writing this, I'm like, you won't flip and believe it. He got up and started walking. But it's like, it's like they see, like, the gospel writers, like, they're reflecting back on this. They were there. They saw it, and they're like, man, we've seen him do so many things. It's like... It's just like, well, yeah, this is par for the course for Jesus. This is just what he does. He got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck, and they gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. And so they recognized, well, Jesus, he, he, he's a man, and yet God has given him this authority to heal and to forgive and to do these things. There's something more to him. 
that, that every miracle that Jesus did, and this one is no different, was, was pointing to his identity, his identity as the son of God, savior of the world, the Messiah, the king who was to come, that he had the ability to do and to heal what was broken. Jesus shows up and he, he changes this man's life, but it's not just this man's life. Those friends would have walked away changed that day. Everybody in the crowd would have walked away changed that day. Even the religious leaders would have walked away changed in some way that day as he challenged what they thought about uh, God and sin and who could do what and who had the authority. He comes and he shows up and says, I'm, I'm changing things. I'm healing things. I'm fixing what's broken. He made it abundantly clear that that's what he came to do. As I mentioned at the beginning, every time that Jesus does a miracle, there's always like the surface, kind of the obvious thing, but then there's these deeper things that he's doing, these layers of significance. And so Jesus shows up to heal this man, and he came to heal, but it shows us that he came to heal physically, yes. The guy was paralyzed, and at the end of it, he could walk. He showed that he did what only he could do. But he also shows that, that he comes to heal spiritually. Right, the first thing that he says to this guy, your sins are forgiven. I'm not just here to treat symptoms. I want to root out the, the, the cause. Your sins are forgiven. You no longer have to face this spiritual death. Like, yes, you will experience death in this life, but there's eternal life that awaits you. Sin no longer has a hold on you. It also shows us that Jesus comes to heal emotionally. We don't often think about this aspect because it's not plain in the text but when we understand the culture we don't know this man's backstory but we can know based on the culture and based on the time that he lived the fact that he was paralyzed would have made him an outcast of society and maybe he was cared for by some family members but likely he would have been relegated to being a beggar that every day he would have sat around begging as people walked by for him to be able to live. And so in their eyes, he was just this beggar. He couldn't participate in society the way that everybody else did. He did not belong anywhere. Everybody would have seen him as just his condition. Jesus shows up and says, I see you as a person. I see you as a person that is broken because of the effects of sin, and I'm here to heal you. I'm here to give you new life. I'm here to give you a second chance on things. I'm here to give you a place where you can belong and where you can be whole. It also shows us that Jesus shows up ultimately to heal everything. That Jesus healing this man of his physical ailments and healing this man of his spiritual uh, disease of sin, it's just a snapshot, a picture in, in, in a bigger story of Jesus coming to redeem and restore everything. That he heals this man's body, he heals this man's spirit, but he also begins to heal and confront some of the broken kind of societal things that were happening in that culture some of the broken religious practices that were happening in that culture that excluded people. But Jesus shows up and it's this pointer that ultimately he is coming to heal everything. That, that sin, as we think about it, as we think about evil, it doesn't just impact individual people. It infects the entire creation. We as individuals are broken by sin. We collectively are broken by sin. Like the, the world itself, the creation around us is, is like decaying because it's been affected by sin. And ultimately Jesus shows up and says, no, I came to heal all of that. I came to heal you as an individual. I came to heal the, the, the systems and the structures that lead to people being oppressed and, and taken advantage of. I came to heal the creation that, that one day he will return and wipe away every tear and heal every bit of pain and suffering and restore all things. He came to heal it all. We get that picture in this account that whatever is broken, Jesus steps in and says, I, I've come to heal that. That he wanted to offer healing to everyone. The religious leaders, 
paralyzed man, the friends, the crowd that he does not see. There is no one in any story, in any account of the life of Jesus, there is no one on the planet today, there is no one who has ever lived that Jesus has looked at and said, you are beyond fixing, that you are a lost cause, that, that, you, that, you, that, that you don't have a future ahead of you, that, that I don't love you. No, everyone, Jesus sees everyone as someone who, whom he loves and whom he died for and says, I want to heal what is broken in you. I want to bring healing to what is broken. That's what Jesus did then. That's what he still does now. We've all got brokenness in us. We've got junk in us. And Jesus looks at us and says, I want to heal what's broken. And as he heals what's broken in us, again, if we are his followers, we've put our faith in him. He's, He's doing that healing process. He also says, and now part of this journey is I want you to take my healing into the world around you, for you to go into those broken places, that he invites us on a mission. Jesus invites us on, on mission to, to, to heal, to bring healing to people. Now, we don't heal things and situations and people in the same way that Jesus does, but we still bring the healing of Jesus nonetheless. That there are opportunities to show up in broken places, in dark places, and bring hope and bring light. I want to read a passage that I think reflects on this really well. Um, so this is, it's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read it, and I want to invite you to just listen to it. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you could pull it out and follow along there. It's going to be in Romans chapter 12. But this is what we call an epistle, right? The Apostle Paul writes this, this particular letter, this kind of second half of the New Testament. It's the apostles writing to first century followers of Jesus who are trying to figure out what does it look like to follow him. This is all brand new to all of them. And they don't really write anything new. They just take the, the, the teachings of Jesus and the example of Jesus and they expound upon that and say, here's what it looks like in your day-to-day life. Here's what it looks like for you to live as a kingdom person. Here's what it looks like for you to bring healing. And, and Paul writes these words, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 20. And I just want you to see if you can't pick out some of the ways in this passage that we can bring healing to the world around us. Paul says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine infection, affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When the Lord's people are in need, Jesus says, I want to heal what's broken. And I want to I want to use you to bring that healing and to bring that love into people's lives. Jesus sends us to bring healing. It's part of the mission that we are on. And again, we don't heal in the same way that, that Jesus does, but we can bring healing in similar categories. So I want us to ask this question, how, how can we bring healing this week? How can you bring physical healing to someone this week? You cannot force heal people, but could you pray for someone this week? Is there someone who's hurting physically that you could pray for? Is there someone who's hurting physically that you could actually pray with, right? Where you instead of saying, hey, I'm gonna pray for you, what if you actually stopped and said, hey, can I pray with you right now? Because let's be honest, sometimes we say, I'm gonna pray for you and then we go home and forget about it, right? What if you just stop and say, I wanna pray for you right now? Is there someone who's sick, who's a shut-in, who's something like that that you could just sit with and be with and they could experience healing in that way? How could you be a part of someone being healed spiritually this week? Again, we don't forgive people's sins, but like the friends in the story, we can get people to the feet of Jesus. Can you tell someone about Christ? Can you invite someone to church? Can you say, you know, I'm gonna take it upon myself to disciple someone, to help them on their faith journey. I wanna encourage them and equip them to take a next step towards Christ, whatever that looks like. Can you be a part of of healing someone emotionally this week? Can you be there for someone, right? Someone who feels like I have nowhere to belong. I am an outcast. Nobody cares about me. Can you show up and say, hey, I wanna invite you into my life. 
want to invite you into my home. Will you come to my house? Will, be, will, will you come have dinner with me? Hey, I'm just going to go do normal, boring life stuff. I have to go buy groceries. Would you like to come with me? Just to let someone know that you belong and I care about you. How can you be a part of, of healing everything? The world is a broken place. Jesus is working in a lot of different areas. He's using his people to bring healing. And sometimes there's these large scale issues and God puts a desire and a burning and a passion down in your heart to get involved in something. Be a part of healing the, the world as a whole. Maybe that looks like uh, hunger relief efforts or, or providing clean water or medical care or poverty or education. Is there somewhere you can say, I can be a part of that? Jesus invites us to bring his healing into the world around us. He may not be literally walking around on the planet anymore, but his followers are. And his spirit is still changing people and moving in people's lives and it's working in us and it's working through us. We are invited to bring that healing. We are invited to experience that healing. Every one of you today, myself included, we have brokenness in some areas. And Jesus says, I wanna wanna, wanna fix that. I wanna heal that. It may be a lifelong process. We may not experience full healing from whatever it is that is broken within us until the other side of eternity. But Jesus is in process of healing what is broken. He wants to do that in you and me and everyone around us. We're gonna move to our time of communion as a church. And this is a reminder to us that Jesus is healing what is broken. Because communion reminds us of the statement that he made to the paralyzed man of the thing that is really ailing you. And he looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. We come to our time of communion and it is that reminder of Jesus speaking the same thing to us. Your sins are forgiven. You are not what you have done. You are not what's been done to you. You are forgiven. You are freed. There is no shame. There is no guilt. There is no condemnation because of Jesus' love and his sacrifice on the cross. We take a piece of bread that represents Jesus' body that was beaten for us was broken for us, a cup of juice that represents his blood that was poured out, freely poured out by Christ on the cross, and this act of love and sacrifice of him saying, I want to heal what is broken. I want to take care of the sin issue. And so we come to the Lord's table this morning to do that. So I'm going to pray for us, and then after that, you may come up and take communion. Um, We just say, we practice open communion here at Hope Community, meaning you don't have to be a part of our church um, to take communion. You're invited to come to the Lord's table. Also, there's no official like, hey, now you take it. Once you've you've gotten the elements, you can head back to your seat and take them as you feel led. I want to pray for us, uh, and then as you feel led, come to the table. Lord, we thank you so much um, for loving us the way that you do. Uh, God, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to heal what is broken in our world. Uh, That you showed up to to heal everything, to heal uh, what ails us physically, to heal uh, our spiritual need, the need of forgiveness of our sins, to to give us a place to, to belong, a family to belong. Pray that your healing would come in this place. God, I pray that the people who need your healing would experience it in whatever area of life that is. Lord, as we come to the table this morning, would you remind us of your love, remind us of your sacrifice, remind us that you are healing the broken things in our life and in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name.